coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. My name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour tonight. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for tuning in on this Friday, October 4th, 2019. Of course, you know that it's the first Friday of the month, and that means that it's time for another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast, Parareality Radio. So, I was uh, watching an episode of Strange World with uh, Christopher Garantano last week, and he was looking into the witching hour phenomenon thing and exploring his personal relationship with it. It was a it, it was a really interesting episode, and it got me to thinking more about the witching hour myself. Not sure I know about the witching hour, but I began to think about how much do I really know about it, you know? And to be honest, I never really thought that much about it. it it's more like a, a thing, um, a tool that's used to augment paranormal investigation, not an actual tool itself, right? But is it, though? I mean, should it should it be treated like a supplement to paranormal investigating, or should it be treated more like an actual tool? What is the witching hour? When is it? Exactly. It's really only coming to popularity over the last several years, thanks to all the paranormal shows like Ghost Hunters and, and Ghost Adventures and the like. But in in my opinion, the show that really gave it the popularity that it has now was um, Paranormal State. They almost always had a segment in their show where they were attempting to, to utilize the witching hour as a tool or a conduit to help them communicate with the dead. So after watching Christopher Garantano's show, I decided to take a closer look into the witching hour so so I could learn more about it and, and hopefully obtain a better understanding of it so that I'll be able to use it at some point in the future. You, though, the listener, are going to get something out of all my hard work, too, because I'm going to be telling you everything that I was able to learn about it here on the show tonight. But before I get started with all that, let me tell you how you can get in contact with me here on the show, because as you know, there are several different ways that you can do this. First of all, you can visit the website, parareality.com. You can find out all kinds of stuff about Parareality. Listen to the uh, archives. You can watch some show videos. If you click on the About page and stuff like that, you can find a contact form for me. All that kind of stuff is on Parareality.com. So I always urge you to go to Parareality.com. You know, I've got the latest and greatest in paranormal news on Parareality.com as well. So if you like to have one excuse me, one source for all of your weird and strange paranormal use, whether it's about ghosts or hauntings or cryptids or UFOs, aliens, stuff like that. I've got it there on my news page on Parareality Radio, and it updates every day. So you too can have one source for all of your paranormal news here on Parareality.com. And it's on, strangely enough, under the news tab. So just go there if you want to find out all of your paranormal news. Also, I got kind of a little sidetrack there. Also, you can, uh, if you want to contact me here directly, you can always email the show. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. I get all of your emails and I respond. Sometimes I respond quicker than others. I'm a little slow at times, but I always respond to just about every email that is sent to me. So if you want to send me an email with a show topic, comment, question, anything like that, an experience you want to tell me about, sandman at parareality.com. You can also follow the Parareality Radio Facebook page uh, just by looking for Parareality Radio there on Facebook. And while you're there, make sure you like that Parareality Radio Facebook page. And 
I am on Twitter as well. You can follow me there. My handle is at Parareal Radio. That's at Parareal Radio. And finally, as always, you can call me on the studio line and leave a message. That number to call is 615-692-1170. Number to call once again is area code 615-692-1170. Leave me a message or a comment or a question. Just be aware that I may play that back on the show. So if you don't want me to play your question or comment or whatever that you leave back, you just really need to make sure you tell me at the very beginning or somewhere in there, hey, I don't want you to play this back. Because just by leaving me a comment or questions, by leaving me a voice message, unless you specifically say not to air it, it gives me permission to do so. All right, And you never know, you may actually... I say this all the time. No one's done it yet, but you can actually, you might actually be able to call the show and catch me because I'm, I'm always in the studio working on, on the show. It seems, especially now that I'm back doing a, a biweekly show. So you never know. I may be in the studio, and you may just be able to catch me there. I may actually answer the phone. You never know. So once again, all these different ways to contact with me, to contact me. I'm going to go over with you. First of all. Just head on over to parareality.com if you want to get your latest news and information about all of the strange stuff in the world, paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, aliens, stuff like that. If you want to email me directly, you can email me, sandman at parareality.com. Go to the Parareality Radio Facebook page. Make sure you like that while you're there. Follow me on Twitter at Radio, or call the studio line 615 615- Six nine two one one seven zero, and leave me your message or question, comment, whatever it is that you got in store for me. All right, those are all the different ways to get in contact with me here on the show. And since I've got back into doing the fan mail, I do have a uh, email that I am going to read. This comes from Gavin. And Gavin has some constructive criticism for me. Gavin writes, Don't take this the wrong way, but you really should try to do something about the mouth and swallowing noises. They were especially bad during the Did Hitler Survive World War II episode. I'm not trying to be offensive or anything. You have a great show, but those sounds are very distracting and unpleasant. I host my own podcast, and I did the same thing until listeners informed me, and I'm glad they did. Well, Gavin, I've emailed you back, but I'm going to go on record here and saying you're absolutely right. I do need to watch the lip-smacking and swallowing noises. You know, part of the problem with that is I use blue microphones exclusively. I'm a big fan of blue microphones. I own five of them. I don't know why I have five blue microphones. I'm addicted to them. I can't help myself. But yes, I own and exclusively use blue microphones for my podcast. And those microphones are so super sensitive. The microphone that I'm using right now is the blackout version of the Blue Yeti. And... I'm not even, I don't even have my mouth all that close to the microphone. And you can still, if I do that, or or even if I, like I take a drink here, you can probably hear me swallowing. And these microphones are just so super sensitive. I really, uh, I have been aware of it since before you mentioned it. And I've tried to be a little bit uh, more sensitive of it. Uh, Sometimes I'm better at it than others. But I appreciate the constructive criticism. I don't take any offense to it. Hey, I'll take any constructive criticism, you know. Um, But I am trying to get a little bit better. And maybe the answer is is going to be I'm just going to have to quit using blue microphones. I'm going to have to use something that's a little less sensitive. I don't don't really want to do that because I have so much money invested in the blues already. And... They're such great microphones. I just can't imagine um, getting rid of it and and using anything else. But I will try to be more cognizant of 
the extracurricular noises <laughs> that I make from now on. So thank you for your email, Gavin. If you guys have anything that you'd like to email me about, whether it's a constructive criticism like Gavin, or if you have a question for me, comment about the show, good, bad, in between, whatever, make sure you email me, sandman at parareality.com. All right, with that being said, let's get on with the show this evening, and let me tell you everything that I have learned about the witching hour over the last week. If you're familiar at all, even maybe even just remotely familiar with folklore, you've probably heard of the witching hour. In occult terms, it's apparently that time when witches and demons are at their most powerful. It's sometimes referred to as the devil's hour as well. Creatures such as witches, demons, and ghosts are thought to appear and to be at their most powerful during this particular time. And also, black magic is thought to be most effective at this time as well. Now, there's a lot of debate when it comes to the lore of the witching hour. Mainly like what it even is. Some people believe that it's the time of night when the veil between life and death is at its thinnest. And this allows spirits and ghosts to travel between the two worlds. Others believe that witches and psychics are more powerful at this time of night. A lot of people aren't even sure what the heck it is. But they know nothing good happens during the witching hour. Now the phrase, the witching hour, was first mentioned from what I can find out anyway, sometime around the year 1835, but the origins can really be traced all the way back to the 1500s, 1535 as a matter of fact. This was a time when the Catholic Church forbade activities during this specified time frame due to rising concerns about witchcraft in Europe. Witch hunts, demonic activity, and exorcisms and rituals have all become intertwined with the witching hour, as just about any clock in a horror movie will tell you, right? So, when exactly is the witching hour? Okay, so we now have an idea of what the witching hour is. But now we need to determine exactly when the witching hour is. Now, you're probably at this point, you're probably saying, okay, well, the witching hour is at midnight. Everybody knows this. Well, that's apparently up for debate thanks to things like modern-day fairy tales and the aforementioned horror movies, right? But actually, 3 a.m. is the actual time for the witching hour. But some people consider the start of a new day or midnight to be the true witching hour. Now, aside from obvious issues with things like, I don't know, time zones, you know, does the devil, does Satan just come around and hit each time zone, you know, one by one? Uh, But aside from, from those obvious things with time zones, the argument over timing is a divisive one. There are a few thoughts behind the, the witching hour or the devil's hour landing between 3 and 4 a.m. The predominant reasoning lies with religious text. So behind that is behind that thought is Jesus was supposedly crucified at 3 p.m. And the inverse of that would be 3 a.m making that an hour of demonic activity. So naturally, the devil or Satan is an inversion of God or Christ, and 3 a.m. is the opposite of 3 p.m., making that the perfect time of day for a demon to do something nasty. Demons supposedly like to do things in 3 as well to mock the Holy Trinity. Now You've probably heard something very similar to this, if not these exact same statements that I'm already making here. So if you look up the definition of the witching hour, you'll find that there's more than one. For example, the Merriam-Webster has two definitions. The first one says that the witching hour is the time late at night when the powers of a witch, 
magician, etc., are believed to be the strongest. The second definition that it has is 12 o'clock at night or midnight. Therefore, it could potentially be any time late at night when the powers of magic are supposed to be strongest and or midnight. So that's according to Merriam-Webster. Okay, but what do other sources say? Well, the Collins English Dictionary seems to say something a little familiar. Their definition is the hour at which witches are supposed to appear, usually midnight. Now, what's considered to be one of the best paranormal reference books out there, the Encyclopedia of Witches and Witchcraft by the uh, late Rosemary Ellen Galley, this defines, she defines the witching hour as, and this is rather long, the hour of midnight on the night of the full moon. This is a time of transformation and change and the height of witches' spell-casting powers. The roots of this notion go back to ancient times, to the worship of the goddess associated with the moon, fertility, and witchcraft. As the moon waxes in its phases, so do the powers associated with it and its deities until the culminate at the full moon. That's according to Rosemary Ellen Galley. So you have that big long definition. You have a definition from the Collins English Dictionary that says sometime around midnight. And then you have Merriam-Webster who has, a, they have two definitions sometime around midnight or the time late at night. So what is late night, right? Um, so is the witching hour at midnight or is it at 3 a.m.? I, for one, say that the witching hour can vary slightly, but it must be sometime in the middle of the night. Uh, all these definitions are all pretty clear on that. So I say that the witching hour can actually be any time between midnight and 4 a.m. So think of it in the same way that your local bar does the happy hour. Bear with me on this, okay? So the happy hour implies that it's only one hour because it says happy hour, but most bars don't do that, right? They, they advertise that their happy hour is going to be from like 4 to 6 or 5 to 8 or... or you know, six to eight or, or, or something like that, you know? So usually the happy hour is at least two hours, sometimes more than that. Right. So you look at all these different definitions. And as I said, the one thing that they have in common is that the witching hour has to occur sometime after mid at midnight or after. Okay. So, with that being said, you have your people who are hanging onto that, clinging onto that folklore, that uh, modern day folklore through uh, fairy tales and horror movies and stuff that says midnight's the witching hour. And then you have people who are of the uh, more of the mindset of the people in paranormal state who are more into the esoteric, who are more into uh, the Wiccan religion or maybe uh, demonology or something like that. And they're probably going to say the witching hour starts at 3 a.m. I, I Everything that I have looked up on it, it, no one can universally say these. this is the, the hour or these are the hours of the witching hour. But one thing that everyone has in common is that it's definitely late at night. So for me, I just lump them all in there and I say the quote unquote witching hour goes anywhere between midnight and 4 a.m. So you have a huge four hour window there. So I talked about the folklore, the uh, fairy tales and stuff like that. So we're going to dive into that. So we've kind of gotten a brief history of the witching hour. We've kind of now narrowed it down to when it is 
between midnight and 4 a.m. So now let's talk a little bit about the folklore of the witching hour. Now that we've slightly defined when the witching hour is, diving into the next thing is, is folklore, which makes the most sense to me. One, one of the biggest reasons the witching hour is in the middle of the night, even though it's technically the beginning of a new day, if you say it's at midnight, is because of the liminality that the time offers. I think that's why so many people focus on midnight just as much as 3 a.m. because midnight's the time between two days, one, you know, the old day and the new day. And many believe that the veil between the worlds is at its weakest point at this time. And this allows for a heightened level of communication between our world and the other. Since the veil is thinner at this time, now, or then, should I say, that time is the perfect time to swap ghost stories, try to communicate with spirits, and even whip out a Ouija board or, or perform spells or something like that. And additionally, even back centuries ago, the hours between 12 and 4 a.m. were usually when most people are, no pun intended, dead asleep, right? The cover of darkness and the sleeping world allows for witches and other creatures to convene publicly, but without too much worry about being seen or otherwise persecuted for their meetings or gatherings. Another thing about the witching hour you'll notice is a lot of people wake up around 3 a.m. I myself am, can be included in that. I did that this morning, as a matter of fact. Although this is said to be in relation to something evil, wicked, mean, or nasty, generally you'd be in your, your REM sleep cycle during this time frame. Your heart rate, your, your blood pressure, your breathing rate, your art, even your arterial pressure becomes slightly irregular at this time, which is why you can feel things like anxious when you suddenly wake up at these odd hours. Now, while this may be true, it's still incredibly interesting that we are irregular and on alert at those hours naturally. Is it a coincidence or is it an evolutionary tactic that's that's developed to better protect ourselves? Now, you also have to, to the 3 a.m., before I get into anything else, the three waking up at 3 a.m. is something that was very consistent as I was doing research in the witching hour. Not only were a lot of people saying witching hour starts at 3 a.m. and it goes to 4 a.m., but a lot of people uh, focused on us waking up at the 3 a.m. hour. And uh, as I said, I do that a lot myself. I, I did that this morning. And I do that very frequently. And you can't talk about waking up at 3 a.m., being in a panic or startled or whatever. You can't talk about this thing without at least very briefly touching on sleep paralysis or hypnagogy or whatever you want to call it. So when you are entering your REM sleep and you're entering your dream cycle of sleep, one of the things that happens is that your brain kind of shuts down the neural pathways to the rest of the body. So you don't particularly act out your dreams. So you, you, the, the brain doesn't want your body to do a lot of thrashing and kicking and punching and, and stuff like that, even though you can still do it. But the, the brain doesn't want your body to do that. So it kind of tries to shut down the neural pathways to the rest of the body. And sleep paralysis is when you are in that state of having your brain shut down its neural pathways and you are awake but yet not fully awake. You're kind of in that gray zone, that area of not being fully awake, but yet not being fully asleep either. And in this period of time, for whatever reason, uh, however the, the 
the neural pathways work or the chemistry of the brain works at this point in time when that happens if you whether you're having a dream or whether you just are one of those people who just all of a sudden wake up at three o'clock a.m like what you know wtf why am i awake it's that sudden snapping open and that sudden waking that your brain doesn't get to kick everything back in and now you're in that gray zone and a lot of times people experience things like uh, intense fear uh, they get the feeling that something or someone is in the room for them a lot of times they have visual hallucinations where they see something and this may have something to do with what the witching hour is as far as folklore is concerned if people have a tendency to wake up at 3 a.m. for whatever reason, and everybody does it. It's not just a few special people that get to wake up at 3 a.m., right? Everybody gets to do it. So it could be, bear with me now, it could be that this sudden waking up at 3 a.m. and combined with this hypnagogy or this, this sleep paralysis thing that could be where the witching hour gets its term from. It could be why people assume that the veil between our world and the other world at this point in time is at its thinnest because people are, are they, they're awake, they can't move, they can't make a sound, and they see something that's coming at them. And usually what the, what people see when they have these visual hallucinations is very terrifying and frightening. It's not like, Oh, I see my mom or I see my, my cat or whatever. It's some creature thing. Right. And I know because yours truly here has experienced sleep paralysis before. Now mine was not 3 AM. Mine was, uh, as really as the sun was coming up and, I could not move, and I saw a what could only be described as a, a, a what was that girl's name from the Ring movies? Sarah or, or or whatever the 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 American Ring movies. You know, the girl who had the the white, uh, dirty long dress on, and her hair was was black and long and straight and it hung down over her entire face that's what i saw floating in the doorway of my bedroom and it was coming at me man and it was scary dude scared the shit out of me so bad i couldn't move i couldn't speak i could just look at it and i really thought there was something bad coming to get me and it only lasted probably for just a few seconds in reality, but it seemed like it was a few minutes worth of this. And as the, a lot of people call it uh, like an old hag or hagging. And as this hag, for lack of a better term, was coming at me and I was freaking out in my mind, I snapped out of it, you know, just like that. And... It was all over with and and she was gone and it took me a few minutes to come to my senses and realized what had happened. But you know, it, it was sleep paralysis. There's nothing else that it could have been. At least I'm going to say there's nothing else that it could have been. I would hate to think that that really was a hag or a demon or some evil thing that was coming after me. I want to say it was sleep paralysis. So could this be why People are saying 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. is the witching hour because people frequently experience their sleep paralysis during this time of night for whatever reason. And I couldn't find a reason anyone has a logical explanation for why people wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. But could that be where we get all of this from? I don't know that I'm the first person to ever propose this idea, but I, in all of my research, I never ran across anyone else who was saying anything like this. So I'm going to say, you know, this is an original idea from me. You're hearing it here first. So 
what can happen during the witching hour. So we know a little bit about, you know, the history of the witching hour. We've narrowed it down. Okay, it's going to be sometime between midnight and 4 a.m., probably around the 3 a.m. hour. We know a little bit about the folklore behind it. So next we have to take a look at what happens during the witching hour. And I've already touched on some of that with the sleep paralysis and, and all that sorts of stuff. So depending on where you come from and what the society there believes to be real or myth, there are many different ideas on what actually happens during the witching hour. So I'll be describing some examples from different societies on what kinds of supernatural creatures get up to during this special time here. So we're going to start off with uh, witches, sorcerers, and other magic practitioners. Almost every community anywhere in the world believes in the existence of witches and demons and people who practice magic, right? They happen to be the very reason why the whole idea of the witching hour was conceived, according to a lot of people. So it's believed that at this time they carry out all their various rituals in an attempt to tap into maximum magical power. Because remember, the veil between the two worlds is thinnest at this point. So if you're trying to reach out to those gods or goddesses or those magical beings or demons, if that's what you're you're trying to summon, when would be a better time to do it? When the veil between the two worlds is at its thinnest. So that's why you have one of the reasons why you have witches and other magical practitioners or people who are doing, who are practicing demonology or whatever, why they do a lot of their rituals and spell castings late at night. So the next thing we have to talk about would be obviously ghosts. In some communities, there's a belief that during the witching hour, the barrier between the worlds and the living and the dead is lifted. Like, like I was saying, the veil is at its thinnest. This allows ghosts to move in between the two realms. Although there isn't really any sufficient evidence to support this, there have been numerous cases of people who've claimed to have seen or heard ghosts at, at midnight or during the hours after midnight and before sunrise. Why do people hunt ghosts at night? Is it because it's, God, and I hate to say hunt ghosts. I hate that you all know I hate that term ghost hunting. Why do people who are into paranormal investigations, why do they investigate at night? Is it because it's more scary? No. It's because usually there's more activity at night. Usually it's late at night. If you look at all of the ghost shows, there's my creepy clock sounding in the background again. If you watch all the ghost hunting shows, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Nation, um, you name it, whatever kind of ghost hunting show you want to watch, even the aforementioned Paranormal State, they all got most of their success very late at night after midnight. As a matter of fact, they didn't even start, most of the time they don't start their investigations until around 10 o'clock at night anyway, right? So there you go. Ghost hunting and the witching hour can kind of go hand in hand because the veil is lifted, so to speak. Now, it's not to say that ghosts are only going to come out or spirits are only going to come out at night or specifically between midnight and 4 a.m. No, they're around. If they're going to be there, they're going to be around. They can be around all the time. You can have a haunting just in the day, just like you can at night. You can do your paranormal investigation straight up in the daylight if you want to. But most of the time, you're going to have more success after midnight in between four because that veil between the, the two worlds are, it's, it's, it's at its thinnest. So now I've talked about demons more than once. So let's get a little bit more specifically about demons and evil spirits. Okay. Now I try to find as much information on demons and the witching hour as I could. 
And it turns out that there's just not a lot out there. So I don't have a whole hell of a lot of information about the the relationship between demons and evil spirits and the witching hour. But here it goes. Okay, so unlike ghosts, demons are believed to roam the world in bodies of people or animals that they possess. They're also included in the witching hour theory where they're believed to be the most active and cause the most terror. That seems to be the most prevalent thing. However, we all know that demons don't just necessarily have to inhabit uh, another soul to be around and exist. Demons can actually exist without inhabiting another body. Now, thanks to Zach Bagans and the world's most popular ghost hunting show, Ghost Adventures, seems like you know demons are on the forefront of everyone's mind these days in paranormal investigation. You know, he's always demon this and demon that. He even made a a movie, Demon House. You know, and even uh, Grant Wilson comes back with his new Ghost Hunters show, and and their whole premise is like, you know, violent hauntings are on the rise. No, you know, this is the. I've gone on record to say this before. This is a trend that's happening in paranormal investigations. And I think people are too quick to jump on that, you know, demon bandwagon. Not every disembodied spirit these days is a freaking demon, people. But do they exist? Yes. They sure do. And they don't have to inhabit someone else's body, a la the exorcist, to be around. The veil between the two realms is thinnest during the witching hour, making it easier for them to do their thing, easier for them to communicate, easier for them to possess something if they're going to possess something. But I think in order to possess another living being, that that person has to be, excuse me, as a general rule, a pretty weak willed person. Um, I think that those of us who have strong wills, I think uh, demons are going to find it very, very hard to inhabit our bodies. So that's enough about demons. What about other supernatural creatures like vampires, werewolves? Well, they're also believed to be most active, not only during the witching hour, but during the entire night in general, but during the witching hour, especially. Uh, Werewolf changes, uh, you know, by the light of the full moon it you know when's the full moon at night now i'm not saying they change at the witching hour or the witching hour has anything to do with them so you know but you have to take vampires and werewolves and lump them into this category as well because they're active at night and at last but not least i want to uh talk about people who are psychic mediums so psychic mediums are people who have the ability to communicate with the dead and channel their spirits for other people to communicate with them. Now, there are places where they are believed to be most active during the witching hour. According to believers in the supernatural world, there's a relationship between the activity of ghosts and mediums at this hour, which makes sense because, once again, the veil between the two worlds is at its thinnest and it's easier not only to cast spells, which is kind of what a medium is doing, if you think about it, but it's not only easier to cast spells or summon gods or goddesses, demons. It's not only easier for ghosts to do their hauntings or spirits to do their hauntings, but it's also easier for psychic mediums to have their communications with the dead at this time. It only makes sense. So, Excuse me. With the witching hour, you can't have all of these things that I was just talking about with with magic practitioners and witches and ghosts and demons and all these supernatural creatures and all this other sorts of stuff. You can't have all of these things and not talk about witch hunting being associated with the witching hour. So, not too long after 
Pope John Paul II and the Catholic Church defined the witching hour, a witch hunting trend began in Europe. The region was plagued with disease and political unrest, and many people believe this to be the work of witches and, and other people who were practicing this, this dark black magic. Suspicious citizens believe that the witches and the supernatural creatures responsible for their misfortunes carried out their rituals at night while everyone else was asleep to avoid getting caught. Other people believe that the witches and the sorcerers practiced in the night because the darkness was the source of their power. In spite of the differences of opinion, they all agreed that it was in the wee hours of the night where you'd be most likely to catch these people doing these bad things. This belief spread like wildfire, and not too long after that, there were a lot of people who were getting arrested and persecuted on witchcraft accusations simply because they were out and about during the witching hour. So if you were out and about between 12 midnight and 4 a.m., maybe you were drunk or you coming from your lover's house or something like that, you were pretty much screwed. Now, there's no sufficient evidence to support the claims of the mobs, but they truly believed that they were absolutely right in accusing these people and trying them and convicting them of being witches or black magic practitioners. The same trend was repeated several times over the years, not only in Europe, but also in the United States, with the most famous over here being the Salem Witch Trials. So in a nutshell, belief in the witching hours led to loss of countless lives over the years in these witch hunts. And as the belief in the existence of the supernatural continues to grow, the witching hour is no longer limited only to just witches. Over the years, there have been many claims of sightings of unusual creatures or activities given this time interval here. And generally, anything that's associated with darkness and evil has historically been considered potentially active during the witching hour. So it started out kind of with witches and it spread to, like I said, demons and other magic practitioners and and evil spirits and other, these other supernatural creatures. So one of the things that I'm sure a lot of you are interested in, in me talking about would be, okay, so you've talked about the veil being thin during the witching hour between midnight and 4 a.m. You've talked about being able to communicate with all these different entities. How can we, what, how does this relate to me and being a paranormal investigator? Okay, so let's talk about the witching hour and paranormal investigating. The spiritual relation with the witching hour has been part of humanity's culture since the almost probably the beginning of time. Many find the hour between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. to be better off avoided altogether. But there are those who find it an interesting hour, and this is when they seek to make contact with the dead or other unearthly entities. And I say you shouldn't just limit it to between 3 and 4. You should consider the witching hour to be that 4-hour block between midnight and 4. Now, participating in activities revolving around this time period can be a dangerous one and should be taken with a really high level of seriousness and respect. Paranormal investigators will also find this time frame interesting since a lot of us feel that the spirits are most active during this time window. One way to make contact that's become popular in the last several years is something called a 3 a.m. challenge. 3 a.m. challenges are activities people do during the witching hour with the hopes of encountering a paranormal activity. You might be doing it with the intentions of communicating with a spirit while somebody else may be doing the challenge as, I don't know, some form of like entertainment or, or amusement. Regardless of whether you decide to participate in a challenge for pleasure or whether you're hoping to make contact with, with a loved one or some other entity, any activity involving ghost spirits and demons should always be treated with respect. Many of the activities of a 3 a.m. challenge can not only compromise you or others around you, 
but it could bring on long-lasting, unfavorable circumstances in the area you perform these projects in. Now, with that being said, I'm going to give you two examples of 3 a.m. challenges you can do during the witching hour between 12 and 4. Now, you've probably seen some of these things on YouTube. It seems to be a very popular thing for kids and stuff, young people, to do on YouTube these days. I don't think that a lot of these people are trying to take this seriously, but I digress. Okay, so couple of different things that you can do if you're a paranormal investigator. A couple of different things you can do during your investigation between midnight and four to try to help you get your evidence. Number one, and this is going to sound stupid, but bear with me here. You can play a board game. Ouija boards or other types of spirit board games been around for generations. The main purpose of these board games is to summon a particular type of ghost or communicate with them. Now, these are used as a lot of times a form of entertainment, but many professionals will use these for more insightful purposes as well. The idea behind using some type of spirit board, you know, between midnight and three is to possibly make a stronger connection with the paranormal opposed to any other time of the day. Now, I will have to say I am not a big fan of using the Ouija board or the Ouija board, excuse me, um, at all. I think uh, if if you're going to have someone do that on your paranormal investigation, it should be an experienced person, experienced with the use of the Ouija board not an experienced paranormal investigator, an experienced person with the Ouija board. Using these things, if you don't know what you're doing, can invite all sorts of bad juju. And yeah, you can get a demon in there. So if you're going to use a Ouija board, you really need to have someone there who knows what they're doing. Number two, you can play a stupid slumber party game. Something like uh, Candyman, Bloody Mary, Light as a Feather, or Sandman. They're all popular slumber party games. Now, they're generally thought of as being played, you know, by a group of young girls who are trying to scare one another. But these games are actually an attempt to call up a real spirit or demon. These can be pretty terrifying. These activities, these are supposed to be group activities. And they're games intended for the darkest parts of the night. And they do extremely well on their own during the witching hour. A Ouija board would also be better played with a group of two or more people. And when I say played, that's probably uh, used, I guess. If you're going to use a Ouija board, it would be better with at least two people or more, and you could make it, you know, like a a group challenge or whatever. Now, though the concept of a, of of a slumber party game might sound like it always involves, I don't know, like a group of tween girls and their PJs in some friend's basement, you know, that's actually not really a, a very accurate description. It can actually be an integral part of paranormal investigating. My recommendation, though, is not to try this if you're an amateur. This, well, in in, in fact, all of the 3 a.m. games is something that should be done by someone who's done these types of things before and should definitely not be attempted if you're alone. You definitely need to do these if you're in a group setting, minimum of two people. So you have two options. You can play some board game. Break out your Ouija board as long as you have an experienced Ouija person there with you. Or you can play what I call the slumber party game. You can do Candyman, Bloody Mary, Light as a Feather, or the popular, my favorite, Sandman game. Um, But once again, you should do that with a group. And these games should be done by someone uh, who are by other people by people who have experience. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) So 
Let's talk about the witching hour and our modern culture here. Technology and science are slowly replacing the ideas about supernatural beings and abilities in modern societies. Things like witch hunts and exorcisms, they're very rare occurrences these days, but this doesn't in any way mean that everyone has abandoned their belief in the existence of the witch hour. Some people often experience breaks in their sleep and they find themselves waking up at hot hours of the night, including the aforementioned 3 a.m., the, the witching hour itself. And according to doctors and neuroscientists, this is completely normal. The brain's behaving in a normal way and shouldn't cause alarm, but we really don't know exactly why this is happening. But they do say it is completely normal brain behavior and no need to have a big alarm go off on this. This, however, doesn't stop some people from panicking and blaming this phenomena on supernatural things. The Witching Hour has also been adapted into modern society literature and film with a lot of movies and books and stuff being structured around that particular time. So in conclusion here tonight, let me say this. It's super common for folklore to explain strange happenings with outlandish tales that actually boil down to pretty sound logic, given the information they had available to them at the time, though. They were doing the best they could. Plenty of urban legends and long-held beliefs about the world have been debunked by modern medicine and better understanding of our reality and the witching hour phenomenon might not really be any that different. So, I want you to picture this. It's 3 a.m. You're suddenly wide awake, lying in bed, staring up through the dark towards the ceiling. You gotta pee, but for some reason, you don't know why, you just keep putting it off. You're not really sure why you are, but that little voice in your head keeps telling you to stay in bed, stay under the covers. The pit in your stomach is the only thing competing with the pressure of your bladder. And you know eventually something's going to have to give. It's either going to be the bladder or it's going to be you, right? So finally, you can't take it anymore. You have to pee. So you throw back the cover and you quietly, you slide out of bed. One foot hits the floor. The other foot follows in hot pursuit. Right now isn't the time for a leisurely stroll down the hall. You don't even bother looking ahead, and you're definitely not trying to catch your, any kind of reflections or anything like that in the mirrors. You just have to get into the bathroom, get to the light switch, do your thing, and scramble back to your bed, pulling all your extremities back back up under the covers where everything is safe and warm and nothing hurts. We've all been through something like this, right? We know that there's nothing lurking under our beds or in our closets or behind the shower curtain. So why do we get this feeling of intense fear? Well, for most people, 3 a.m. hits right about the time their body's going through REM sleep, the deepest sleep possible, right? This does a few things to you. It slows your heart rate down. It drops your body temperature and generally dulls as many functions as possible so you can get truly deep rest and you don't act out your dreams, right? If you wake up suddenly in the middle of your REM phase, you're going to feel super crazy weird. The natural reaction to feeling so disoriented and weird and even colder than normal is fear. We can't help but to instinctually panic when we feel completely different than what we felt when we went to sleep. So this fear becomes common among large groups of people. So we attach the meaning to it. If we're always waking up at 3 a.m. in a panic, something dark and ominous must be at fault, right? The stories grow 
and a few witches and demons get peppered in there for good measure, and hundreds of years later, we're gripping our cell phones, and we turn them into flashlights in terror on the way down the hall to the bathroom. Can we be totally certain that the witching hour stems from our own natural circadian rhythms? Well, the answer to that is a definite no, but it's certainly something worth holding on to if it helps us all to sleep a little better at night. And that, my friends, is everything that I learned and everything that I have to tell you about the witching hour. Well, I see that I am quickly running out of time. I got uh, about three minutes left, so I'm just going to wind down the show. Everyone, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email, sandman at parareality.com. If you want to know more about the show, you can get online and head on over to Parareality, and that's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to current and past episodes there. If you click on the Extras tab, you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum. You can shop in the Parareality Radio Store, watch some stupid show videos and other stuff. And, man, you can check out the news on the news section. It's updated daily with all of your favorite paranormal news UFOs, aliens, ghosts, spirits, cryptozoology, it's all there on the news section of parareality.com. Also, don't forget to look me up on Facebook and like the Parareality Radio page on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Parareal Radio. Post a lot of interesting stuff on Facebook and Twitter like upcoming shows and special guests and interesting articles, stuff like that. And make sure you follow me on both of those social media sites to stay updated on what's happening in the world of Parareality Radio. And speaking of Parareality Radio, you can listen to the show on a variety of different websites and streaming platforms. Of course, you can hear the show right here on Spreaker, but you can also hear it on Facebook and on YouTube. If you want to hear it on YouTube, just go to Parareality1. That's Parareality with the number one out behind it. That's my YouTube channel. I have some videos on YouTube that's not on my uh, uh, Parareality website. Uh, I have some documentaries, some old paranormal documentaries. I have a couple, let's see, actually three episodes of... um, my short-lived uh, news of the strange thing that I brought back for a little bit, but uh, don't know if I'm going to be doing that anymore. Uh, but anyway, you can listen to, uh, you can stream Parareality Radio on Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Castbox, and iHeartRadio. iTunes is going to be coming soon. And if you happen to have a smart speaker, you can enable any of those skills that I just mentioned and say, you know, just open them up and simply say, hey, play the Parareality Radio podcast. So you can listen to Parareality Radio just about on any streaming platform around right now. So listen to your heart's content. (laughs) Everyone, my next show is going to be on Friday, October 18th, 2019 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out on October 18th at 8 p.m. Now, before I sign off tonight, I'd like to take a moment and say happy anniversary to my loving wife, Kim. As all of you are listening to this episode tonight, Kim and I are out celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary. So I pre-recorded this show the night before. And Kim and I are out having a wonderful time on our fifth wedding anniversary. So Kim, my darling wife, happy anniversary. The last five years have been amazing. I love you and I'm looking forward to us continuing to grow old together. Everybody, I hope that this radio program opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, a wonderful weekend, and I will see you all again in two weeks. 
Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.